Here, one more announcement I want to pass along to you. Something that we do at this time, just about every year, a number of years ago, the Lord just awakened in us to seize the opportunity around Christmas to put the Word of God in people's hands as a gift. And I think one of the things that inspired us to do that was listening to Gideon stories, the guys that were the Gideons who travel all over the world trying to figure out ways to get the Bible into hotels and into schools and into people's hands and then listening to what happens when people get the Word of God in their life. So here's what we do around Christmas. Because people are open to spiritual topics around Christmas. They're open for you to venture into their life and discuss the gospel with them. And... And they're open to receiving gifts, and any gesture on your part to give a gift is just, is just well received. So what we do is we, we, we order Bibles, and we've got a bunch here <clears throat> today for those of you that want to jump on this. If you're wanting to grab this idea and go with it a lot further and you want to order some more Bibles, if you just let Evan know that, we can get more in for next week. <clears throat> but here's what you do. You take a Bible, uh, and, and accompanying that Bible is a is a cool track that we've come across. It's called Christmas in Three Words. And it's just a great explanation of the gospel and its connection to the Christmas story. And you get one of these, you get one of these, and you either either wrap them up together and you, you can get this like a buck fifty is what all this will cost you. So these are the kind of gifts you give to the, the person that you see, the dry cleaners. You know, you go pick a dry, and just, just a person you've developed some relationship with, a parking attendant, a person who uh, you bump into at Walmart over and over and over again. And you've developed some first name rapport. So you can give these gifts away to all kinds of folks, a neighbor down the street, whoever. Wrap these things up and, and give them as a gift that represents the impact that the Christmas story, Jesus Christ coming to the earth has had on your life. If you, can, if you can include with this any kind of a written out testimony of your own, that's excellent as well. But you know, just for a couple of bucks... You can put the word of God in somebody's hands. Now, why does this, this has always just leapt out at me. Because in, in 1978, my older brother attended a football camp. And at that football camp, there was a couple of coaches. And one of them was a guy who was playing in the NFL at the time. And, and they took the opportunity during that week of, of camp to share the gospel with the players. And they gave out little pocket New Testaments, a lot like this, just a little... Just a New Testament, they gave it out to those, those guys who were attending the football camp. That was the spring of 1978. In the fall of 1978, uh, I heard someone share the gospel. And I went home provoked and curious to know more about well, who is this Jesus Christ that saves and what is the Bible all about. And so in my curiosity... I found the only Bible I knew anything about. It was this little bitty pocket New Testament that my brother had brought home from football camp. And he just left it lying around somewhere. I'm not sure he ever read it. But it was sitting around his room or my room when God awakened in my soul a desire to know him. And so I began to pick this little, this is the actual New Testament that I had. I picked it up and started reading it in the fall of 1978. And God saved my soul in February of 1979. Because there was, there was a person sharing the gospel with me, but there was a Bible that I knew I could get my hands on. I started reading it, and it started to mess with me. So 
I don't know who all you'd give this Bible to, but just imagine you give this Bible as a gift and somebody just leaves it lying around their house and God is doing a work in that man's wife or one of his children. And this is just sitting around and somebody just shares the gospel with them that you don't ever know anything about. And they just pick that thing up and start reading it. And what God might do, right, your little buck fifty investment. Can you imagine the word of God accessible to folks? So listen, this is a big deal to me because it was instrumental. As a matter of fact, I thought about this as I was putting stuff together this year for this. and I thought, I need, I need to see if I can get in touch with the guys who gave these Bibles out back in 1978. I need to let them know what they did by just giving out some Bibles at a football camp because I have forever been changed by that. So... So guys, pick that up on your way out today. Uh, there'll be a, a, a table out there that you can buy as many as you think you'll use and, uh, and get those things distributed and what an impact it will have. All right, this morning we are continuing in our study of tuning in to the Spirit. Get our radio dial up for us. We have moved all the way down on the left side there to something we're going to call inner intangibles today, and that's going to be a, a pretty long list. We'll try and, and glance at a few of those today, but let me bring us back to why I believe the Lord has us doing this series. Real briefly, it, it is not just so that we can be aware of more Bible verses that have to do with our position on something. It's not so that we can just make an argument or make a presentation to ourselves or to others about what we believe about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes we get into certain categories of biblical truth and we start treating it like it's, it's there for the purpose of conversation. It's there for the purpose of us being able to make a case, make an argument for something that we believe. Some doctrine that we want to be able to say, well, I believe the Bible says this. You know, when we get into the realm of Certain activities of the spirit, people fall into categories and they have fancy names for them like cessationists, continuationists. You know, cessationist is a person that doesn't believe certain aspects of the ministry of the Holy Spirit continue today. They ceased at some point in the history of the church. And then you have continuationists who believe, no, no, I don't think the Bible teaches that. I think, I think the activity of the spirit continues past the New Testament era into the common life of the church today. Now, how do you know we can, we can argue about that all we want? And, and, and there's some validity that we should argue about some of these things. But how many of you know there's a lot of us who are continuationists that in, truly we're practical cessationists? Because in practice, we can make a case for something continuing from the Bible, but we can't make a case for it from our lives. We can't point to the realities that the Spirit is doing this stuff yesterday, the week before, last night, in a meeting, in my life. I know what something, I know what it is to experience these things in my life. They're not just ideas that I think, hey, you know what? I think the Bible teaches on these things, and I think the Bible says that these things can be experienced. Okay, that's cool. You gotta start somewhere. But are you experiencing them? And if we're not, then I don't want that to be accepted as normal in my life. That's not normal. It might be common, but it's not normal. The pages of Scripture have a lot to say about normal. 
So let me, let me walk us in this, this week about our subject of focusing in on some inner intangibles. Right? What's an intangible? Look at your definition there. An intangible is something lacking material qualities. And so not able to be touched or seen. I like this definition. It's difficult, something difficult to define or describe clearly, but nonetheless perceived. Right? Something that's difficult to define or to describe clearly, but nonetheless it's perceived. Now, if you, if you know anything about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, wouldn't you have to say that definition describes a lot of the ministry of the Spirit, right? It's, it's something that's difficult to define or describe, right? I'm, I, I get, a, I get a, a prophetic word. Okay, try and explain that to somebody, right? Any of you who have gotten prophetic words where God is, try to explain the mechanics of that, of how you actually got that impression, what it felt like, how it came to you. I mean, it's not like getting the mail, right? I go to the mailbox, I open it, there's a creaking sound, I put my hands on a note, there's something written there, I read it, and the, and the thing said, blah, blah, blah. All right, so you got a prophetic word. What was that like? Well, um, it wasn't exactly like writing on a wall. Uh, it was sort of like a thought. That, you know, just kind of like a thought you'd get. I kind of got a thought, but, well, you know, but I get thoughts all the time. So how did you know that thought was a prophetic word versus just the next thought that came into your head? Well, uh, uh, well, I, I don't really know, but I just know, you know. Yeah, there's some activity of the Spirit that's a little bit difficult to define, to describe. It's an intangible. There are things that God does in us that it's hard to measure it, it's hard to know, how did it get there? How is it operating in me? And I think part of the challenge for us in growing in the things of the Spirit is to pay attention to the fact that the broadcast of the Spirit, I don't want to say always, but quite often, it doesn't have enough natural element to it for us who are natural-minded to connect with it. From the moment you're born, you're training your natural senses, right? You, you, you perceive reality through seeing, through hearing, with these ears, through smelling and tasting and touching, right? So now you turn around and you say, okay, here comes the Spirit. All right, everybody, I just want you all right now. If we just stop the service right now, and I said, I just want you to be open to the Spirit, we have trained our natural senses and we've become so dependent upon our natural senses, what we would tend to use is our natural senses. Right? We might want to feel goosebumps. That wouldn't be wrong. Could be an effect of the Spirit. We, we, you know, we speak of visions and seeing things, so, so maybe we would close our eyes. Close our eyes so tight that the blood would begin to form images in our eyeballs. Right, right now, I'm seeing a swirling, clouding thing happening right now. Okay, well, that's blood flow, Keith. That's what that is. Um, but I'm used to seeing stuff. I'm used to hearing things. So I want to hear. I want to hear the Spirit the way I hear you talk to me. I, I want I want it to sound like words that traveled through the air and came into my ears, because we live this sort of natural component of our lives, and we've been doing that for a long time. But l listen to this from 1 Corinthians. Turn to 1 Corinthians with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we get educated a little bit about 
the broadcast of the Spirit, and, and the, the Spirit broadcasts on a different frequency. So us tuning in means recognizing it, it may not feel like what you touch and what you hear with these ears. That may not be the way the transmission feels. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'll start in verse 3. Paul says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Right. So there's this, this component of Paul's ministry that rested in the power of God, and, and not just the words that were communicated. Now, I, I hung something in here that Paul didn't say. I, I said not just the words that Paul ministered. Right? I'm going to say this because I think I need to say this a lot. To rescue the church from this propensity that we have to sort of take a Bible verse and forget the rest of the Bible exists. Right? You could be tempted to read this verse and say, uh-huh, see? My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, brother. That's what the church needs. Needs a whole lot less talking and a whole lot more power. Okay, how many of y'all have read anything else from the Apostle Paul? Was that Paul's ministry? Paul had nothing to say, did he? I'm pretty sure Paul could wear you out with words. People fell out of the windows when he preached because it was all night long and a man didn't stop. So let's not forget the rest of the Bible when we read a piece of the Bible. But for those of us who put a great deal of stock and importance in words, let's not forget this passage. There's a realm of the power of God that's sort of a mystery. It's a little intangible. It doesn't, it doesn't just come because we presented this information backed up by that fact and used this illustration and that argument and our brains went, got it. Now, there's a realm in, there in which there's a mystery of God doing something while words are being communicated. That's the power of God. That's why, why a meeting can never just be somebody preaching. It's got to be the power of God in the midst of those people while the word of God is being spoken. Verse 6. He says, yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, listen, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths, right? The deep things of God the Spirit can search. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Listen, if you know anything about what God's thinking about any topic and at any moment in our lives, it's by the Holy Spirit. You can't come to that any other way. You can't know the thoughts of God without the Spirit of God revealing to you. Verse 12. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, 
that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able. That's a big word right there. It's not just that he doesn't want to, doesn't feel like it, he's busy, didn't get around to it. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Right? Everybody know right now that there's radio transmissions flying through this room right now? Do you all know that? Every station that broadcasts in the New Orleans area right now is being broadcast through this room right now. How many of y'all are hearing them? If you are, we have some concerns about you. We'll have a special prayer for you after the meeting. Uh, right? You don't hear until you turn an apparatus on that can receive that transmission and dial in. Right? So the Spirit of God saying all kinds of things that all kinds of people don't hear. Until you have the Spirit of God, and then the Spirit of God in you can receive the transmission of the Spirit of God. Verse 15, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now keep reading just for a second, just for the sake of helping us with our labels of spirituality here. Verse 3, of chapter 3. But I, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people. Right? And he just got finished saying that there's spiritual mindedness and there's spiritual people because they have the Spirit of God and they can tune into the things of the Spirit. But I couldn't address you that way. But as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Even now, you're not ready yet. For you are still of the flesh. For, for while there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Or like mere men, some of your translations say. So it's a very interesting revelation being given here. Right? There is this broadcast of the Spirit that gets received by the Spirit. And unless the Spirit is in you, you don't get to hear that broadcast. And apparently, even if the Spirit is in you, if your relationship with the Spirit is dull and fleshly, you won't hear either. Right, and this is, this is you know, I think I put Hebrews 5 in there. There's a, a similar component of dullness here. That gets highlighted in Hebrews 5. The writer of the Hebrews has a, a similar concern, a similar frustration as Paul had. Paul wanted to go into deeper things with the Corinthians. He said, but I can't. I can't. It's like you guys, it's like you, 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 you can't tune into that. I would broadcast something you couldn't hear. The Hebrews had a similar problem. Verse 11 says, concerning him, we have much to say. It's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. Right? Same language Paul used. But solid food is for the mature who because of practice 
have their senses trained to discern good and evil, right? So there's, there's immaturity associated with a sense of dullness, right? You dull in the spirit, it will, it will lead to a sense of immaturity. Now, this, this is a little bit of a caveat because I think we're sloppy. I think the charismatic world is sloppy, um, I think sometimes you can too easily have this default setting that says, you know, if you prophesy and speak in tongues, that's, that's the mature stuff. That's the deep stuff. And listen, I want us to prophesy and I want us to speak in tongues and we're going to get all over that and make a big deal out of it. But do you, do you realize the Corinthians didn't have a difficulty prophesying and speaking in tongues? They had that going pretty well. In the beginning of the book, though, Paul calls them dull and unspiritual. So apparently, some people have an ability to be dull, unspiritual, and yet still operate in some level of gifts. So let's not put badges in the wrong places and say, you know what, if, if you speak in tongues, you get the badge of maturity. Uh, maybe not. But you still, need, you still need these badges. You still need gifts. They still need to operate. I'm just trying to fix some of what lies around the edges of this topic that sometimes I think, I think it alienates people. I think it makes them approach this poorly. I think some of us, some of us here this morning, you need to hear me say this. You experienced some outpouring of God 20 years ago in your life, and it was amazing, and God did something incredible, and you began to use gifts that you'd never experienced before. And, and you're still holding on to that in a way that hasn't been updated sufficiently over the last 20 years. You, you shouldn't just be telling a story about something that happened 20 years ago. The maturity and the work of the Spirit should be continuing, ongoing, deepening in a bunch of areas. That's why we are looking at a multiple broadcast here. But here's the, here's the good news in these passages. is apparently both from Hebrews as well as from Corinthians, there's the expectation that you can learn to discern. You can learn to hear, right? Being dull and not being able to catch the spirits, it, it might be common, but it's not normal. It might be common, but it's not normal. And, and we can learn to discern these things. We might be untrained, and God might be giving you an impression, a word. God might be filling you in a certain way, and you might not be aware of it, and you're missing out on much of the Spirit. But the good news is you can learn to discern the Spirit. Right? That's where many of us are. That's an encouraging thing. Right? I, I can remember, you know, at some point when you're, when you're having a child, wife is pregnant, usually about 18 weeks, they call you in for an ultrasound. And, you know, we would go in for the ultrasound, and the guy gets that little device out and squirts jelly all over your wife's belly and begins to push that thing around. And, you know, it's got that strange noise thing happening. I mean, you guys, you guys can remember this. I mean, it's fond memories. If you've had children, you know, you're kind of waiting for that. It's got that thing happening. You're just, you're just waiting for it to zero in on stuff. Now, the first couple of times, the, the ultrasound doctor uh, fails to recognize something. Basically, we have no idea what we're looking at. <laughs> and you're looking at this, this thing going, and he begins to, begins to narrate, you know, and he's, he's pointing around this, oh, oh, oh yeah, you see, you see that? You see that? And you have a choice in that moment. Either, either admit you're stupid or act like you're not. But when you act like you're not, you know, then he begins to want to have you play along. So he wants you to explain what you're seeing. You know, you, you see that? 
You see that? So it's just best in that moment just to say, uh, what, what is that, like Rhode Island? What am, what am, I, what am I looking at here? Because you know, it doesn't look like anything. Then he swings it around to the other side, and, you know, and, and at some point I'm pretty sure I'm thinking, my, my wife has a flock of birds inside of her. I mean, what, what the heck am I looking at here? Is that, is that even human? Should I be concerned? Should I call the prayer chain? <laughs> you know, so they, they're swinging this thing around. I'm, going, I'm thinking I know something. It's like, is, is that the foot? Is that the foot right there? He's like, no, that would be the face. And it's like, oh. <laughs> no. So eventually, after seven children, I got to where I, I could sort of discern a little bit. I knew what not to call certain things. Actually, by the time we got to the last one, uh, for Drew, they had 3D ultrasound. I mean, we've all seen the 3D. All right, listen, don't, don't be impressed with yourself, right? I mean, 3D ultrasound is like ultrasound for idiots. It's like, I mean, everything sort of just, it gets three-dimensional. It's like, that's the head. Yep, that's the head. And you're right, it is the head. Keith, excellent. You know, but the good news is, you can be trained to discern. That doctor learned how to read that ultrasound after looking and looking and looking and looking at a bunch of material that was confusing and disoriented, and he learned. What, what, what's that right there? And what's that right there? Listen, the voice of the Spirit is like that. Be encouraged. You may be walking through this series going, man, I feel like I don't even know if my radio's plugged in. I'm hearing nothing, dude. Thanks for the encouragement. I hear nothing. Uh, okay, that's all right. That's a starting place. Don't give up. Don't be discouraged by that. Let's, let's learn to discern together. Let me move quickly here into the intangibles. Turn to Isaiah chapter 64 with me. These intangibles. What, what are these intangibles that we find in Scripture? Well, I find Isaiah here in this passage calling out, crying out to God, to, for God to bring the intangible ministry of the Spirit, the presence of God, in their midst. Isaiah 64, verse 1. Isaiah at some moment, this is just the cry of his heart. He says, oh, that you would rend the heavens. Right, he's praying to God. God, that you just split open the heavens and come down here. That the mountains might quake at your presence. As when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries that the nations might tremble at your presence when when you did awesome things that we did not look for you came down the mountains quaked at your presence from of old no one has heard this this is this is Corinthians passage no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. So Isaiah was aware that there's, there's stuff that God does. He shows up, and I love the way he says this, and you do stuff that we don't ask for, that we don't even know to ask for. Right? You, you, in this realm of connecting with the Spirit, you're, you're going to have to leave room in your life for the unfamiliar. You're going to have to leave room for some categories of God to do in your life, through you, and for you, things that you're not familiar with. He can unscript something. He can just pop in and, and work in a way that you're, you're not ready for him to do that. It's not the pattern. It's not the normal way that I've gotten used to doing stuff. That's the way the Spirit of God can be. But what, what I love about these passages, though, is, is Isaiah begins to cry out for something. 
of God's presence to return to his people. Now question, how did he discern that God's presence was not among them? What made him even pray this prayer? Well, how, how, do we know, how do we know whether the wind is blowing? Remember, John? A move of the Spirit of God, it's, it's not necessarily seeable, but it's perceivable. Right? You hear the wind. You don't know where it came from or where it's going. There's some mystery here. But you see its effect. You see trees bending over. Okay, Isaiah looks up, and he doesn't see the trees bending over. He doesn't see the effect of the presence of God amongst his people. Now, now here's what's interesting, and here's what I think is important for us to catch. What was it that he was looking at in that moment? Because, right, this, again, this is, this is, I think, our untrained eye for looking for the Spirit. We can tend to look for the Spirit in, in categories of healing, in categories of vocal giftings. And we can say, you know, God's, God's not moving. God's not moving. Is that what Isaiah saw? Did Isaiah lift up his eyes and say, people are not being healed? There's not a move of God healing people. There's not a move of prophecy. I'm one of the few guys prophesying. Therefore, God, oh, that you would just rend the heavens and show up here because it's obvious your presence is not among us. Why did he conclude that? Well, when you back up a few verses, you know, you get back up in chapter 63 to, to verse 17. It says, oh, Lord, why do you make us wander from your ways, right? So he's looked up and he's seen a people who are wandering. These are not a people who are honed in on God, who are focused on God, whose devotion is toward God. Their lives are wandering. They're just into the hillsides, into whatever comes next. God, why do you make us wander and harden our hearts so that we fear you not? What did Isaiah see? He saw people who were unresponsive to God. You know, regardless of what God wanted to do, they weren't paying attention to God. Their hearts were hard. They didn't fear God. God was not the centerpiece of all that they were about. God was distant in their wandering. He says, return for the sake of your servants, the tribes of your heritage. Your holy people held possession for a little while. He saw something for a little while. People of God walked in something for a little while. Our adversaries have trampled down your sanctuary. Right? I, wonder, I wonder what that translates into in our lives today. You know, the adversaries of God, are, are they running amok over our lives? The adversaries of God. The adversaries of God are not the Philistines, and inhabitants of, of the land of Canaan. Now, who are the adversaries of God right now? Sensuality, doubt and fear, and unbelief, carnality and temporary mindedness. Are, are those probably the Philistines of today? The adversaries and, and would God say adversaries have trampled down? They have over, God, we are overtaken. Right? Isaiah is looking up at a people, and this is what he's seeing. We have become like those over whom you have never ruled, like those who are not called by your name. Lord, I look at your people, and I don't see any difference between those who say they belong to you and those who've never known you. The values, the priorities, the passions, the delights, the things that we're after as a people, they look just like the things that the world is after. 
Oh, God, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And you'd make a difference in our midst. Because if your presence was here, things would shake and they would move and there would be an impact and an effect. Now, don't you find that interesting? When Isaiah looked up and he said, I see a lack of the presence of God. That's what he saw. It wasn't just in the narrow category or enough people being healed. God's moving because people are being healed. God's moving because people are experiencing certain verbal gifts. God is moving. That's not Isaiah's concern. Can I say this? If you read the New Testament as well, it's not Paul's concern either. I don't know if you can find one church that gets rebuked for the lack of healings going on in it. Right? I mean, you don't find that's an agenda item. You don't find Paul writing to a church and saying, what is wrong with you people? Where's the faith in your midst? I've not heard of a healing in your midst for years. Shame on you. You don't hear Paul saying that anywhere. Do you hear Paul correcting things with people? Yes, you hear Paul correcting a lot. And quite honestly, he sounds just like Isaiah. He's correcting the same sort of stuff. You know, if, if you're looking at activity of the Spirit, he's correcting a bunch of things that sound like fruit. He's not just rebuking churches because they're not exercising certain gifts. He's rebuking them because you don't love each other. There's no fruit of the presence of God that unifies you, this spirit of unity and love and commitment to one another and sacrifice and willingness to engage one another's lives and passion for God's glory to be seen. Those are the things that Paul seems to be concerned about, and he calls that a lack of the spirit. That's the dullness. The correction for the Corinthians was what? It was over jealousy. There's jealousy among you. You've got to be kidding me. You're, you're dull and unspiritual. Why, because he wasn't seeing healings? No. Because you, you're, your hearts towards one another are so polluted. You're so using each other that you're comparing and you're jealous. You're dull. You're unspiritual. You're living like mere men. See, this is, this is how Paul was trying to fix the diminishing presence of God in the churches. Isaiah similarly addressing those issues in his day. But here's this intangible effect. The Spirit of God comes for Isaiah, and he does this stuff that sort of just bushes ignite into flame. All of a sudden, there's heat, and kindling is ignited into flame. And water begins to boil. Water that was just at some tepid temperature begins to mysteriously absorb heat all of a sudden, it's beginning to boil. Right, listen, this is, this is the presence of God amongst the people of God. This is the power of God being described by Isaiah. Oh, God, that you just show up in our midst. And stuff like that would happen. I mean, how many of y'all really think that all he wanted to see happen was, was stuff caught on fire? What do you think, Isaiah was a pyromaniac? It's like, oh, God, that we just would have some flames, man. Uh, he wanted to see people's lives affected. He wanted to see the insides of them boil in the purpose of God. Listen, can, can I tell you can, can you, can you make room for boiling? Whatever boiling is going to look like for you, right? The activity of the Spirit of God, all this broadcast of the Spirit can show up in your life. And for some, boiling for you might be the working of the Spirit in new gifts in your life. Speaking in tongues and prophesying. That may be the boiling of the Spirit of God. God's presence shows up and you begin to operate in spiritual gifts. 
How many know for some, the boiling in the spirit of God might be joy in your life? You look yourself in the mirror and people look at your life and you know you are not a happy camper right now. You are struggling. You, f- you feel depressed. You feel like the lifestyle aroma that you have is this melancholy heaviness. Wow, if God showed up, what if the presence of God came and there began to be this boil on the inside and you begin to have joy in your life, right? That joy, right? Fruit of the Spirit, joy. It's a manifestation of the Spirit. What about, what about faith in your life for something? Faith and patience while it's unfolding. That's the work of the Spirit, you know. What about, what about all the, the struggling marriages in here today? You're struggling. You're struggling to have faith to believe that it can ever be different. You're struggling to have faith to believe that person can change. You're struggling to believe that you can make it for another week. I can't believe Christmas, another Christmas, and it's just like it was last year. And you want to quit, and you're discouraged. You're dealing with issues in your family, in your children's lives. And you've lost faith that God's ever going to do something to rescue that child, bring them back. Or you just lost patience with helping them to to walk through that situation. If the Spirit of God showed up on your doorstep and just filled you with his presence, oh God, that you'd rend the heavens and come down, that the water would boil. And on the inside, you begin to have this supernatural faith from God and patience in the midst of the situation. To be able to walk, yes, for another day, for another month, for another year, if that's what it takes. And inside of you is something that compels you to say, yes, I can. I can do that. There's something in you that says, I'm not folding up ten. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to make this. That's a move of God, guys. That's a move of God. Oh, that we would see a move of God that way in our midst. That God would rend the heavens. Let me give us a quick ABC list of spirit intangibles. Right, and I say this for us to be able to identify where is the Spirit doing something? Where do you see the Spirit? You know, that's the Spirit right there. God begins to do this in a person. That's the Spirit right there. That's the Spirit breaking out right there. Listen, if you got too narrow of a category of the Spirit, then that's discouraging because you don't ever think God's moving unless He's doing this, this, or this. So God's not moving, God's not moving, God's not moving in my life, he's not moving in my family, he's not moving in my church, God's just not moving. Well, maybe, maybe you don't know how to identify what God's doing. Maybe God's doing a lot more and you need to give him credit for it and you need to celebrate it with him. But you don't know what it sounds like, right? Maybe we're dull, maybe we're immature, and so God's doing stuff and we're not catching it and we can't celebrate it. Right? But, but God wants us to tune in. Right, to, to learn to listen. What does his broadcast sound like? It's hard to hear his broadcast over amongst all the other noise of other broadcasts. I remember growing up as a kid, we used to go fishing. on Almost every weekend, we'd go down to Port Sulphur. Remote, remote location. We were out 10 miles in the swamp. And, you know, Saturday afternoon, the LSU game would be on. So we would want to listen to the LSU game. And, you know, I don't even know what station it would come on. So we'd, we had some terrible-looking radio with a coat hanger sticking out of the top of it. And, and you would dial into stuff. Right now, you were listening for something in particular, right? So you know that when you got to something that sounded like jazz, you know, you just kept going. That's not that's not what I'm listening for. Or some guy who's very 
mellow and just reading the news. That, that's not what you're after. So you just kept going. But the second you tended to cross paths with something that sounded like crowd noise, right? You know, <sighs> okay, you're still not sure you're on the right game, you know, but, but you know, it's Saturday afternoon. This could be it. <sighs> so now you start listening for stuff that fits the LSU game. You were listening, did they say Tigers? Did I hear it? Because it was bad. I mean, the reception was bad where we were. Is, is Baton Rouge being mentioned? Uh, is, is Charles Alexander going around end? How many of y'all remember Charles Alexander? Good for you. Hallelujah. Um, you listen for that stuff, and that lets you know, ah, ah, I just tuned in to the LSU game, right? All right, spirit intangibles are kind of that way. If you, if you don't know to look for them, you might overlook a lot of God. Right? So there's a bunch here. I don't know if I put them in your outline or not. We'll cover more than just what we'll do today. But I just want to go through some ABCs. I want to, I want to talk about affections as an intangible of the spirit. I want to talk about boldness. And I want to talk about confidence. And I'm going to do them all really fast. Affections. Sam Storms wrote a book called Signs of the Spirit, which was basically his attempts at explaining Jonathan Edwards. <laughs> if you've read Jonathan Edwards, you'll be grateful for Sam Storms. Jonathan's not the easiest read. But Edwards wrote a book called Religious Affections, where he tried to explain this dimension of the Spirit of God touching our affections, our desires on the inside. So Storms is commenting on that. He says, the word affections, therefore, describes the more vigorous and sensible exercises of this faculty of the soul by which we are either greatly drawn to or driven from some reality as perceived by the understanding. Affections, then, are warm and fervid inclinations that reveal the fundamental orientation of the human heart. In the course of human existence, we make countless choices. We exercise our wills in the pursuit of some option to the exclusion of another. But only those acts of will that are lively and sensible and vigorous deserve the name affections. Right? The, the affections are the want-tos of our lives. They're the things on the inside of us that you and I are passionate and eager to do. We want to do that. Right? You notice that you treat stuff different when you want to do it, don't you? I mean, there's lots of stuff in our lives that we have to do. There's stuff in our lives that we're supposed to do, and then there's stuff in our lives that we want to do. Right, that's what God's after, the affections of the soul, that there would be in us an inclination toward God that occupies our want to toward God, a, a hunger and a thirst, a compelling internal desire toward God. Psalm 42 speaks this way. It says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O oh God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? I, don't, I love that. Don't you love that sense of there's something on the inside of me that wants God so desperately. I'm so eager for God. It's, it's a hunger. It's a thirst. It's a passion. Oh, when can I? I'm, I'm so wanting to. Verse 7, he says, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. There's something deep inside of man. The spirit of God works in us like a hunger and a thirst that produces this desire towards God. Like a deer who, who's been in a desert 
finding an oasis. A deer's not casual, is he? He is about that water. He is panting for the water. He's on a mission for that water. Storm says, a person who is regenerate will most assuredly pant after God and godliness. Not unlike the desperation of a thirsty deer for the refreshing, life-giving waters of a desert oasis. I mean, put yourself in your yard in August for a couple hours, working feverishly. Right? And then I just want you to imagine iced tea with the water droplets forming on the edges of the glass that your lovely wife has prepared for you, for you to go sit in the shade and think about whether you'll take a sip. Oh, well, I mean, she made it for you, so you feel a little obligated, right? Well, I guess I'm supposed to. I should. Right? Is that how you greet that? I mean, the part that doesn't get poured on me goes into my mouth. Right? I am thirsty. Nobody has to prod me. I, I don't need a covenant group leader threatening me. You know, Listen, when you get the tea, make sure you drink it. I'm going to be calling the next day and talking to your wife and <laughs> making sure you drank the tea. Listen, I'm hot. I'm thirsty. I'm desperate. Listen. I want I want. Bible reading to be that way. I, I want involvement in the meetings of God to be that way. I don't want to be here this morning with a, well, why am I here? Well, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to go to church. Just, just what you do, you know, it would be a little awkward if I just stopped showing up. People might, I don't know, people, I'm sure somebody would say something or think something. You know, it's just, you, it's just what you're supposed to do. How many of you guys ran in here like you'd been thirsty, dying out there, and you came in here like there's something from God. It's got little water beads flowing down the edges of it, and my soul is crying out for God. Oh, when, when can I go meet with God? When was the last time you felt that way about your devotional life? When can I go meet with God? Now listen, I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty. I just want us to be honest. We want the real deal. We don't, want, we don't want to be coming into meetings like this where the job of the speaker is to prop up guilt far enough to where you say, all right, yeah, okay, that 30-30 thing in January. All right, yeah, okay, all right, yeah, you went all the trouble, made a brochure. Yeah, okay, I'll sign up. It's part of the church. It's probably in the church covenant that I signed somewhere. Okay, all right. Uh, now how about your favorite drink on a regular basis? The food you love the most scheduled for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when can I meet with God? Listen, if that's not what we're experiencing, right, then we need to stand in line with Isaiah and say, oh, God, that you would rend the heavens and come down here, that your heat would so affect us that we would have a hunger and a thirst that that is what I would be like. I'm not like that right now. It bothers me. I want to be like that. And so my cry becomes that, oh, Lord, visit me with a new normal, a new sense of hunger on the inside that your word is a delight to me and your presence is what I'm after more than anything else. Jonathan Edwards said, my mind, this is how he described his walk, my mind was greatly fixed on divine things, almost perpetually in the contemplation of them. I spent most of my time thinking of divine things, year after year, often walking alone in the woods in solitary places. For meditation, soliloquy, 
and prayer and conversation with God. It was always my manner at such times to sing forth my contemplations. Right? This is a man whose heart was teeming in experiencing God. Sam Storms says this. I'm more where Sam Storms is than Jonathan Edwards is, unfortunately. He says, I confess that I often feel vehement longings, to use Edwards' words, for the University of Oklahoma football team to win the national championship. <laughs> Vehemently in my longings for a good movie, a steak, medium rare, and other comforts and conveniences that I'm convinced I can't live without. How is it that I have allowed my heart to be captivated by such lesser treasures? Why have I believed the lie that the pleasures they bring can fill my soul in a way that Jesus cannot? Oh, dear friend, there is soul-satisfying and life-giving good in God and nowhere else. He is the gospel. He is the good news. Knowing him is what the mind was made for. Loving him is what the heart was made for. Being the temple of his abiding presence is what the body was made for. Oh, God, we plead for your spirit to stir within our selfish and worldly hearts those vehement longings for your son, that we might see him in his glory, smell the sweet fragrance of his presence, and rest secure in the loving embrace of his arms. May we, in knowing and prizing and praising him, be forever ruined for anything else. Right, right, that's normal. I want that kind of normal in my affections toward God. Boldness. Let me just do boldness quickly here, and I'm going to get to confidence last. Acts chapter 4, verse 31, we're introduced to a prayer meeting of the believers in the first century. And they were praying together, and it says this in verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, they had just prayed earlier for boldness. God, give us boldness that we might speak as we ought. And sure enough, God fills them with this intangible, internal, explosive compelling that makes them do what was difficult to do, to speak honestly and openly and boldly about the gospel in a difficult time period. But yeah, that's exactly what they continued to do because there was this intangible thing going off on the inside of them that compelled them to say things. Listen to this word boldness. In the Greek, it means freedom or frankness in speaking. Freedom in speaking all that one thinks or pleases. Now, now there's a few of you who might need the opposite of that. But for the most part, concerning the gospel, most of us need exactly what that's saying. Confidence or boldness, particularly in speaking. A state of boldness and confidence sometimes implying intimidating circumstances. Right, to be in an intimidating circumstance where your natural tendency is to recoil, is to not say, to not share, to not speak, and to say anything, there's just, there's just this wall between you and saying something that just seems insurmountable, and it's familiar, and it just doesn't get crossed very often. But oh, for the Spirit of God to give us a Spirit-driven boldness that does not get limited and has the ability to say what we want to say in that moment. Right? Do you understand that's, that's something we can pray for this morning, right, right now? Some of you right now need to be saying, okay, Keith, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I know exactly what I'm here shopping for. I need to learn to receive boldness from God. I need to know what that feels like. I don't know what this Acts, 31, Acts 4.31 meeting was like. 
But the Spirit of God showed up in that meeting, and the people went out of that place, and there was a sense of boldness about them, and they continued to do bold things. God, that's me. I lack that, but I want that. that, that's, That's where I want you tuning in here. How about this last thing, confidence. Confidence. This is, this is Romans chapter 8. Oh, how much we, we need this awareness. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. It says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life. Because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through this spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit... You put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Right? He highlights this. If the Spirit's in you, there's this, there's this quickening component to the Spirit. The Spirit in you, the same one who quickened life into the crucified Lord and quickened into him the ability to be raised from the dead and conquer death, that same Spirit is in you, working just as he did there in your life. So, You can have confidence, assurance that your future in God is set. Your future inheritance. This life does not have a boundary for you that's going to serve up for you the end. You're going to expire in this physical body. No, no. If the Spirit of God dwells in you, the same activity of the Spirit that went off in Christ and he was resurrected is going to go off in you too. And you're going to be resurrected too. You have this hope about your future. But not only that, that same quickening spirit is the same activity that gives you the ability to overcome sin. There's this quickening work of God that God can quicken in you an ability to subdue sin so that your enemies don't overrun you. Your adversaries don't rule your life. Because the same spirit that was in Christ quickening him in his ministry is in you, quickening you. Right now, take that into some space that's real. Take it into the place where you just can't seem to stop doing that. Or maybe for some of us, just start doing this. Just the history of my life is that I just don't have it together here. I just fail in this area. I am, I am, I am confident of this, that next week will be like last week. That next year will be like the last five years. That's what I'm confident about. Right, and how many of us know that that's not a move of the Spirit? That's a giant move of your flesh. It's a giant move of your flesh. Because Paul says the same quickening Spirit that operated in Christ is operating in you. And that thing that you're intimidated by, let it, let it meet the power of God. Let it meet the quickening work of God in your life. That by the Spirit you are putting that thing to death. That's the quickening of God. Look in verse 14 now. Here's the confidence. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. 
But you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. Right? So confidence, assurance that God is motivated toward us through sonship and that the reward of our relationship with God is that we are heirs with Christ. What's the next move God's going to make in your life? What's motivating him? Is it the fact that the last six months have been off the charts horrible for you? Is that what's controlling God? Because you're not going to go to God with that, are you? You're going to steer clear. You're going to do your best Adam and Eve impression in the garden. You're going to be running and hiding from God. And God's going to have to find your back and say, where are you? But what if you were convinced that God is dealing with you as a son? What if you were confident? What if you were in touch with hearing the Spirit of God bear witness with your spirit that you are children of God so that out of your heart leaps this awareness, Father, you're my Father. That's who you are to me. Listen, when that voice gets quiet, you're in a bad place. Do you recognize that that ability for you to sense the fatherness of God is the move of the Spirit of God? When you have sensed the fatherness of God, His assured care of your life, you're sensing the Spirit of God bearing witness with your spirit. There's something of the Spirit of God broadcasting to you, and you're getting it. You're receiving that in this moment. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, have you got this elemental cry in you, crying out, Abba, Father? Do, do you know beyond any doubt or dispute or peradventure or hesitation that you are the children of God and joint heirs with Christ? Are you rejoicing in full assurance? Right? Do you live your life with a sense of confidence? God's son or daughter, his relationship with you is going to be something tomorrow. You can count on it and be confident about your life and what he will provide and who he's going to be and whether he'll be sufficient for you. Listen, if if you've played any sports, and maybe this is this way in a bunch of categories, but when you lose confidence, you're in trouble, right? You want a best example I can think of most recently would be Tiger Woods. There's a difference between this dude. Two years ago, in the last year and a half or so, still same guy holding the same golf club, same physical ability. He didn't get, well, he did get in a car accident. He didn't get run over by a car. I mean, the guy still has the ability to play golf. But something went on in here. And if you, how many of you guys are golfers? How many of you know that most of the game's right in here? Right? When you, you've had those days, you're hitting the ball sweet, you're hitting the ball sweet, you're hitting the ball sweet, you start believing you, you can't hit a bad shot. I'm going over the water today, boys. And, and sure enough, you go over the water. I mean, it's like you just have those days, and then you have other days like me. You have those deceptive days where you actually do that on one weekend and you think, I'm going to go out again next week. Now, I've learned the next weekend is twice as bad as anything I've ever experienced before. And so, sure enough, every bad shot in the bag is, is made that day. And you just lose all confidence. And at that point, you can't hit a good shot. 
Right? When you lose confidence, it affects what you're going to do next. It affects how you interact with life. Right? Do you have a sense? I'm not talking about self-confidence here. I'm talking about confidence in God. Confidence of who we are. I was in the car the other day, and this, this song came on. I thought, oh, Lord, this, this is, you've, you've probably heard it, guy, Jason Gray. Wrote a song, Remind Me Who I Am. He says, when I lose my way and I forget my name, remind me who I am. In the mirror, all I see is who I don't want to be. Remind me who I am. In the loneliest places, when I can't remember what grace is, tell me once again who I am to you. Who I am to you. Tell me, lest I forget who I am to you, that I belong to you. My heart is like a stone and I'm running far from home. Remind me who I am. When I can't receive your love, afraid I'll never be enough, remind me who I am. If I'm your beloved, can you help me believe it? Oh. Right, can you identify with being in that place? What a difference it makes when the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, sons of God, heirs along with Christ. That's the ministry of the Spirit. You don't come up with that on your own. The Spirit of God moving in your heart. Right, can you learn to see that? That's God. That was the Spirit right there. That convincing me of the fatherness of God and his commitment to me. Let me qualify this, and I don't want to take too long to do this, but I just think it's very important that I say this. And Matt, you can get ready to go ahead and come. So please, please listen carefully. This context right here, if you're reading in Romans 8, the next verse, when we get past this assuredness, this confidence, sounds like this in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Hold on to that thought, because what you just heard was this rah-rah move of the Spirit. I'm a son of God, and he is committed to me, and he's at work in my life, and he is faithful to me. But there's going to be suffering. There's going to be suffering. I, th I think this informs our understanding of how much of the promises do we get to experience of the Father, do we get to experience now, and how much of them are for the not yet? They're over there. They are the promises of the Father. But they're not all to be inherited right now. We are heirs with Christ. How many of you know you don't get to taste and experience all that inheritance right now? How many of you know that, that, that God's purchased a really cool lot? And he's got a builder putting together a mansion in another location. And guess what? No matter how hard you pray, no matter how much faith you've got, no matter how much the Spirit moves, you don't get to have that right now. Do you recognize that? Because this is where I want to I try and help us, encourage us to take some risks in the category of the Spirit. A few years ago, a couple years before Hurricane Katrina, we went through a very challenging season as a church as it pertained to one particular lady that was just dearly, dearly, dearly loved in the church. She was about my age, I think, at that point, maybe a year or so younger. She had high school age children. She was diagnosed with cancer. It was a fast-moving cancer. It was a hard process to watch how quickly 
she deteriorated. There was, there was lots and lots of prayer in the church. There were prayer gatherings. There were people who organized their own sense of getting together and praying with others. There was faith to believe for God. There were folks who thought they had prophetic words, and they shared those words with the family, with her. She got worse. There was more prayer. There was more hoping. There was more crying out to God. God, you've got to. God, we believe you will. There was assurance. There was, there was all these things. And she died. And it really knocked a lot of people on their heels. And I remember, I think it was her funeral. Or it may have been a church service, right, related to the time that she died. The Lord had given me a message out of this passage in Romans chapter 8 called praying for the now but believing for the not yet. You see, because there's an aspect to what we're doing here where praying for a new normal is risky. You're going to be asking for stuff that is 100% clearly in the territory of heaven. And the question is, how much of it can we pull down to earth? Because listen, there is no theology that says you can have heaven on earth. The kingdom of God coming to this world is still operating in a fallen world where sin is still a factor. This is not heaven, guys. This is not heaven. So when you start praying, you start seeing all this stuff, the spirit of God moving and all the, and we want to pray, we want to believe God to do something in our lives. You're going to take a big risk when you do that. And you're going to believe God for something that belongs to the normal not yet. And you're praying for it to belong to the normal right now. And it may or may not. But do you understand? We're going to pray for people who are sick. We're going to pray for God to heal people who are sick. How many of you guys know that the earth is going to end and every life is going to end? At some point, God doesn't heal and preserve life in these bodies. At some point, he says, note the healing I have is a not yet healing. It's a glorified body. They will experience healing there, and it will be 100% and it will be permanent. Listen, you don't get 100% permanent here. So should, should we... Should we pray for the sick? Yes, we should pray for the sick. But we don't pray for the sick because we're guaranteed that every time we pray for the sick, they will be 100% made whole, and then therefore they will never die after that. That's not why we pray for the sick. We pray for the sick to demonstrate the not yet. That's what, that's what these gifts really do. They let us pull down from heaven a little piece of not yet into this realm right now. Do you think every moment you're going to get a prophetic word? I mean, Aaron encouraged us last week. Do you think every situation in your life, if you'll just take the time and you'll pray and you'll have faith, God will disclose to you the secrets of anybody's heart at any moment, your own issue and the future pertaining to your life. Do you think that's going to happen every time you pray? No. Does that mean we don't seek prophetic gifts? We seek prophetic gifts. See, if we understand that there's a now normal and there's a not yet normal, 
And what the Spirit of God has given us the ability to do is to reach into the not yet and pull down pieces of it. One day, your body will never be affected by the sickness you're experiencing right now. Here, here's what that tastes like. And God heals us. And at some point, that, body, that very same body that got healed by God dies. Because it's going on to experience the fullness of the not yet. Right, listen. This is risky. This is where the church doesn't do this because it risks something. I don't want to take a chance on believing. I don't want to take a chance on praying for you and believing God's going to show up in your life and then nothing happens. But that's exactly what we're called to do. There's nothing in the New Testament that says only pray for people to be healed once you have become sure that everybody you pray for will be healed. That's, That's not there. You and I are called to exercise these things. In a world in which it doesn't always turn out the way we understand it. But yet we're still called. Are you you willing to risk a little bit here? Because you're not going to go far in this realm of the spirit. If you're not willing to risk, I missed it. I didn't fully understand what God was doing here. The Bible doesn't categorize this. Is there any among you sick? Let them call for the elders and let them pray. The Bible says pray for the sick. We pray for the sick. We pray and we fight in faith for the sick, that they might taste the eternal not yet in their lives right now. And we're going to keep doing that. But you're going to need to be prepared that sometimes you're going to step out and it's not going to go the way you thought it did, should have gone. You can't quit in that moment. You, you can't decide, God's not God, you know. See, God is, God is dealing with you as sons, right? That's the context here. And God, according to Hebrews, is disciplining his sons. And how many of y'all read the rest of that passage in Hebrews 12? He's dealing with you as sons. He's disciplining you as sons. And discipline doesn't seem pleasant, but rather it seems painful. Right, when your life is unpleasant and painful, that's the moment when you need confidence. You need a move of the Spirit of God that you are confident that, no, I'm a son of God. Spirit of God, let my heart leap toward my Father. He's dealing with me in discipline, and it feels painful. And, and, and that's not the time for me to say, where's God? Where's God? I'm bitter. I'm angry. Where's God? He doesn't show up in my life. No, he's exactly showing up in your life. He's showing up like a father, and he's building your faith, and he's making sure you're going to get to the end. And he's working in your life. And the Spirit of God needs to inform you of that. So your heart leaps and goes, okay, God, you are my Father. Let's stand up together. All right, tune me out. Tune me out, right? And start listening. Start listening specifically. What's God? Maybe God's already said something to you. And there's a place that God wants to say, hey, I I was speaking to you in this area, right? Let's just be sensitive to the Spirit of God. Lord, lead us this morning to tune in. Lord, and not everybody here is needing to hear a particular same broadcast. But God, everybody here is needing something from you. So, Father, I pray for your stirring. Lord, everything we saw here today, these intangibles, 
are the heat that you bring when your presence is in our midst, that you stir us up. Spirit of God, stir us this morning. Lord, there are some here who have become disaffectioned in their walk with you. But there's a lot of supposed to, a lot of have to going on. But Lord, they're here and the sorrow of their heart is there's just not much want to. Lord, they know that and they, they feel a sense of need this morning before you. Oh God, would you do something in our midst? Just begin to pray that God would do something in our midst today. God, that you would stir our hearts, that we would not be cold and distant, but Lord, we would be a people who are affectionate toward you. Our lives are filled with hunger and thirsting. Our souls cry out that we press toward God and, and we're here today and our hearts are saying, when can I meet with God? When can I get near to the presence of God? Oh, Spirit of God, we pray for the wind of your Spirit to blow on the trees of our lives this morning. Stir affections in our souls. Lord, in just a few moments as we just are led by you and Meditating on you, Spirit of God, begin to minister. Begin to minister fresh affections in here for young and old, for those who have known you for years and years, God, and we've, we've grown cold. God, there's not a warmth in my heart, Lord, there's not a joy in my heart. Maybe there's some young people here who are struggling to maybe experience true passion and delight in God for the first time. Lord, they've, they've been around church. They've been around the Bible. But Lord, their affections are not about you. Lord, this morning, make a difference. Spirit of God, be the difference maker. Let your power be in this house to affect us. If you're here this morning, I'm going to give a strange altar call here. You guys are here this morning. And God is speaking to you about boldness in your life. Let me just see your hands. You're not coming up here. See your hands. God is speaking to you about boldness. You, you look at your life and you say, Lord, I, I, I'm not receiving boldness from you. I, I, am, I am timid. I am intimidated. I, I don't share the gospel much. I don't reach into people's lives. Lord, it's just an awkward thing for me. But, but Lord, I'm sensing this morning you want to impart to me boldness. Let me see your hands. You've got to be bold enough to raise your hand here now. Okay? You can't raise your hand, you ain't going nowhere. All right, that boldness is not just about you being a better boss at work. God can use boldness in that. But that boldness in Scripture was about the gospel. It was about the sharing of the gospel. Here's what I want you to do right now before your boldness turns cool. Right, I want you to do something with your boldness. Right? And you can do this right now. You can actually, I give you permission to get up and walk out of this room. I want you to do two things. I want you to get as many invitations to the Christmas cantata as you will use. And I want right now for God to start telling you who to give them to. And you only got one day to do it. And that's the cool thing about responding this morning. Because <laughs> you don't have time to blow God off here. You could actually put feet to God's conviction. And today, you could be bold by the Spirit of God. And just get in cooperation with God and say, God, I'm intimidated. You know, my aunt, she's going to bark at me and say, yeah, I've been going to Mass and blah, blah, blah. But, Lord, today I sense something by your spirit, and, and I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to speak the word with boldness. All right? Other thing is, maybe some of you guys are sensing, God wants me to give the word of God to some people in my life. And, you know, I don't know how I would broach the subject with them. I, I have avoided that in their life. All right. Time to be bold. Right? Give yourself an opportunity to be bold. 
All right, these are in the foyer. So here's what I want our bold people to do. I actually want you to leave <laughs> and uh, go out and, and get you some invitations and go out and get you some Bibles. I think there's a table set up where you can get Bibles and, and let God put some feet to your boldness. Let him fill you with boldness right now. Right? Matt, as, you, as Matt leads us here, can you just let God speak to you? Maybe you're going to sing. Maybe you're just going to listen. Maybe you're just going to interact with God. But Spirit of God, here we are. Here we are, Lord. Dial into where we are. Hundreds and hundreds of voices listening for you, Lord. Find us where we are, Lord. Find our address. Draw near to us. Fill us with your Spirit. Let us truly, truly encounter you in this place.